because it is Christmas and I haven't done it yet this year. Merry Christmas! Nice, but you know, come on. Merry Christmas! Pretty good, but come on. Merry Christmas! That's awesome. I'm such a kid. <laughs> okay, so, um, all right, there we go. What we've been doing is throughout the month of December here, we have been looking at what marks Christmas. We started off with Kara's just amazing sermon about praise and worship, and it comes from the angels that are praising God and peace on earth, goodwill towards men, and that was just phenomenal. And then last week, we went after something that is all over the Christmas story, but that we just don't tend to see. It's sort of hiding in plain sight, and that's the Holy Spirit. And the way that the Holy Spirit is the one who's been orchestrating things. He's been, just like he did at creation, he's been given shape and meaning to the events of this time so that we would understand what they meant and could enter into them fully. Today, we're actually going to continue that theme, which is this hiding in plain sight. Because we've got this interesting dynamic about Christmas. What is Christmas about? Jesus, right? Come on now. You know, that should be really easy, right? Okay, that's like, you know, write your name on the test. And if you get that one wrong, then, you know, you don't get to take the test, okay? Right? So the point is, is, is that when you're looking at Christmas, you're looking at Jesus. I mean, he is that member of the Godhood who emptied himself of his godly attributes to some degree in order that he might come and actually truly be one of us. Born of a virgin, but one of us. Right? And from that, we get this incredible thing of what he's trying to say to us is, I identify with you. I like you. I want to be with you. <laughs> you know? He didn't just say it and then want us to somehow be it. He actually came and showed us how to do that. He made himself one of us so that we could relate to him. Right? Really important thing. And then, of course, when we're celebrating Christmas, we've always got in the back of our mind the real, the deepest purposes for what he came. And, of course, it was to make our way home right? To make a way back to God. Because we who have chosen to go our own way have fallen out of fellowship with God. And Jesus is the one who came to take all of that separation, all of the consequences of our decision, all the consequences of our sin upon himself in order that we should, in believing that he took my consequences upon himself, that's my way home to God, right? So, I mean, you know, we celebrate Jesus, and we should, right? Even more so than we do. And we celebrate him pretty good, right? But it's like the whole of our being worships and bright lights and trees and color and all of our being rejoices in Jesus, right? Now, that's true, and that's real, and nothing I'm about to say comes against that. But do remember something. It's almost ironic that in celebrating Jesus so totally and completely and lovingly, we actually end up, ironically, not going to where he's pointing <laughs> so much. Where is Jesus pointing? To the Father, right? Right? I mean, that's what he does. His whole ministry, what he said over and over and over again was, is, is, you know, when you see me, you see the Father. He's not saying he is the Father. He's saying, I only do what I see him doing. I only say what I hear him saying. <clears throat> you know, Thomas, show him, us, show him to us. You haven't seen, look at me. <laughs> you will see him. Why? Because he is the express manifestation of the Father's will. See? He could have come as a theophany like he did in the Old Testament and, and done his own sort of thing if you can point it out that way. I mean, he's still triune and don't get your theology messed up there. But, but, but the point is, what I'm saying is, is that what Jesus, just as the Holy Spirit's job, as we looked at last week, the Holy Spirit's primary responsibility as it appeals, as concerns us, has to do with the Holy Spirit pointing us to Christ. Right? Everything the Holy Spirit orchestrates, shapes, forms, and creates meaning in is to show us who Christ is and bring us to him. But then what does Jesus do? He says, here, come and be with the Father. Right? That's what he does. So we're going to do something today. For Christmas, we're going to celebrate it on another level. We're going to celebrate it to the place that Jesus was pointing to. And here's why. I believe with all of my heart that all of us, no, no matter how well we know God right now, all of us have an impediment 
to really loving God the way that he wants to be loved because of how we see the Father. Now that seems like it shouldn't be that way, right? <laughs> but I'm just telling you, what we're going to do today is we're going to show you something about how we see the Father. And once we understand how he prefers to be seen, it'll free us to a love for him. So that's where we're headed. Who's our person today? Okay. You the man? Oh, no, who is it? <laughs> oh, it is you? Good. All right. <laughs> so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd, uh, Lord, be with Kurt as he speaks this morning. Father, as he brings a message about how we're to view you and how to see you in this season as you came to visit us and sent your son to us. Lord, I pray for the churches in this area abroad, across the city as we celebrate this season together. Lord, that you'd help us be a light in this area. Thank you, Lord. And work together in unity to bring your purposes to this city. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. For those of you who don't know Jesse yet, really cool. And in just a couple of weeks, he's getting married. Okay? To the girl who's sitting right there. So this is a really cool thing that's happening. I love it. All right. Now. When we're celebrating Christmas, we understand that the, that the birth of Jesus is a revelation, right? When God is talking through Paul, what he says is, is uh-oh. Okay, no, I, can I just tell you, I woke up this morning, and, and an hour and 15 minutes ago, a PowerPoint it took me five hours to make yesterday was gone. <laughs> So when I say, uh-oh, can I just tell you, there's a little bit of, uh, I looked at that and went, oh my gosh. <laughs> I just, I did, I missed something is what happened though. This was user error, okay, user interface. All right, God so loved the world. Look, look at how, look where Jesus pointed. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that anyone who believes in him should not perish but have our last week. Look where Jesus is pointing. Even in his own sacrificial death, he's not pointing at himself. He's saying the Father contrasts Son, right? The Father loved the world so much. Now, yes, it's God in fullness. Jesus certainly agreed with it and so on. But he's creating a contrast here. And this contrast is part of the thing that is being revealed. Do you understand? See, when, Paul, when God talks about it, he says, this mystery has been kept dark, kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. So you understand that what we have in the Old Testament is you know, hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord thy God is one, right? And there is all of this triune language in the Old Testament, but still people are thinking of him as one. Even though right here in the very beginning we have this, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless and empty, the darkness covered the deep waters, the Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light, let there be this, let there be that, let there be, let there be right? Let there be all the time, throughout the days. Now what we understand, and what we've come to understand, and we only understand it truly after Christ is revealed in his birth. Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God come as Savior and so on. Because what happens is, right here you've got God, and we now understand when we read that God, we understand Father. But you understand that while God was hiding something, literally, he was hiding something, what he was doing was it was God and his spirit. You, you wouldn't necessarily say reading that, you wouldn't say, oh, there's two gods there, would you? See what I mean? You could read that and say God and his spirit. Okay, I got it. It's sort of God and something like that, right? Now you've got theophanies where Jesus shows up and so on, but understand what God's doing, why he's hiding this. Real simple. When we made a choice to go our own direction, God said, okay. He gave us free will. He let us go our own direction. And what he did was he said, I will give you thousands of years for you to try and find me in the way you think you can find me. I'll let you be on your own. Thousands of years. God let us be on our own. What did we do? At one point, we got so violent in our hearts that God had to destroy the world lest we destroy ourselves. Right? But the point is, nobody ever came. And so there came a point in time at which, and I could go deeper into this, but I'm just kind of hitting it at a higher level. There came a point in time at which we basically said to God, give us the rules. You know, right? Now, God's the one that gave us the rules. But what he's saying is he's saying, you know, you, you guys think that you can do it if you just know what the rules are. 
So here's the rules. And by the way, they're really complicated. Ten simple little words. Four of them have to do with keeping me first. The other ones have to do with stuff that's pretty obvious. You know, don't kill people. You know, don't steal from them. Don't covet what they got, right? You know, right? Pretty simple stuff. Ten simple little words. Literally, Ten Commandments, Hebrew, ten words. Ten word in singular. Just a little bitty word. Nobody could keep it. It was given 1,500 years before Jesus was born. Nobody could keep it. Those ten simple little words. So then what we do is we say, we said this one. We said, you know what? Here's how we'll do it right. Give us a king. He'll make us do it right. God says, well, I thought I was your king, but okay, fine. Go ahead. You can have a human king like all those other neighbors around you. Did anybody get it right from that? Did the king make them do it right? <laughs> you know, what he did was he stole their sons as his slaves. And he stole their daughters as his concubines. And he stole their land for his own. Right? I mean, the kings didn't quite work out, right? So then we got this point in time, but by the way, before the kings, we've got this period of time where there's judges, and what he does is he says, here's what judges is all about. We think, God, you know what, if you just make it really clear, when I do something right, have something good happen. And when I do something wrong, have something bad happen, because all of us are sort of self-preservationists in a way, and if something bad happens, then I'll learn not to do the bad things, right? If I put my hand on the burner, I learn not to touch the burner when it's red, right? In fact, you don't even really want to touch it when it's not red, right? You kind of go, is it going to be? <laughs> right? Okay? We can teach ourselves. And so for 400 years, God lets them. You know, here, when you do good, bad, really good things happen. When you do bad, really bad things happen. Does anybody get it right? The end of the book points it out perfectly. By the end of the book, 400 years of this, trying to learn about it, everybody did what was right. How? In their own eyes. <laughs> Not God's. Not his perspective. So then he gives us the kings, and that's not working out. And so then God does this. I'm going to talk to you directly. You know, prophets. I'm going to tell you, don't do that. Because if you do that, then this is going to happen. And then they do it, and it happens. <laughs> and you would think at that point in time, they would be like, okay, next time he talks. Hey, we're going to listen up. Right? Time after time after time after time, what happens? He says, don't do that. And we say, well, that looks like something fun to do. <laughs> so we go do it. You see, this God gave us, I could go deeper, like I say, but what God was doing in this whole period of time before Christ, he was letting us try every way on our own to get back to him. And what he was trying to teach us, not just through the law, but through every one of those things, what he was trying to teach us was this. You need help. <laughs> There's something wrong with you. <laughs> Us. Right? We need help. We need a Savior. God's hidden plan was, when you've exhausted all your ways back to me, I will come and I will fulfill my covenant with you. I will take upon myself the consequences of your decisions. And if you will receive what I have done for you, you will come back into communion with me. Amazing, isn't it? This is incredible stuff. This is the mystery revealed of Jesus Christ. Now, do you understand? When that mystery is revealed, Jesus Christ coming, this is the time at which, even though we have theophanies, which is Jesus appearing, even though we have the Holy Spirit doing work throughout, empowering people and so on, even though we have people referring to God sometimes as the Father, mostly as God, even though we have all of the triune God evidence throughout the whole of the Old Testament, we don't really understand that he's triune until Jesus is born. That's the first time that we really sort of go, oh, I get how this works. In fact, let me just show you. See, now we understand that when he says, in the beginning, the Father, we understand that everything ushers forth from the Father who is on the throne. That the Holy Spirit is the one who is the power of God shaping and molding in order for his purposes and meaning. But then we understand this, too. God said, there's this hidden part of the Trinity that can be discerned, but... It's only after he's born that we understand it clearly because here's what John says about God said. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. Do you see that? God said, 
Everything that came about came because God said, and this is what he's saying, because God said. And that was Jesus, the one that was going forth from God. Ushering, you see that? The son going forth. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. So the word became human, became flesh, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now, I want you to... Now that we understand him to be Father, Son, and you see... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now that we understand Him to be triune, I want you to think about how we think about the Father. And, and can I say something right here? I recognize that there's people in here that don't even know God, and just hang in there with me because it's going to get to a place that it doesn't matter. It, not that it doesn't matter ultimately, but you get my point, okay? But what I want to do is I want, you to, I want you to just process something. Not everybody actually thinks of God in their relationship in, in a triune manner, Right? has a distinction between a relationship with the Holy Spirit, a relationship with the Son, a relationship with the Father. Not everybody in here, even as Christians, does that. Can I make a strong recommendation to you? Listen to this sermon and start doing that. Why? Because you don't know him fully until you know him distinctly. Right? I mean, there's things and there's richness and there's revelation and there's depth. And there's all kinds of beautiful things to be found in here. But I just want to say, just in general, when we think about the Father, right, what do we think of? Well, you know, the way that he gave us, he said, everything that I made, we looked at this last week, everything that I made, I made in a way that you could know who I was, and so we see what he made. And when we think of the Father and things ushering, I mean, this is millions of light years across, right? And this is actual pictures from the Hubble telescope. This is not some computer guy, you know, coming up with a cool look. This is, this is stuff God made. It's actually out there, okay? And you can see, and you see all of these things, and you see the, the majesty and the power and the glory. You see the incredible things that are, that are to be found in these things that God made. And what we do is it helps us to understand who the Father is when the Scripture says about him. In Revelations, I saw a throne, John says, in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian. Did, did you see how those images were like jasper and carnelian? Did you see how they're like a glow of an emerald circling the throne like a rainbow? Do you see how the things that he made are imaging this thing and he's trying to describe it? And it's, you know, John couldn't see the stuff that the Hubble can see, right? But you see how he's describing it. Now we have pictures and we can see God's fingerprints so beautifully in this. See? And then, but now look, here's where it gets tricky. That's all beautiful. The thing that we forget about those beautiful pictures is, that's like, <laughs> we're, we're less than a grain on a grain on a grain. We're less than a grain to the power of 10,000 to the energy that's being released to these. This stuff kills us. <laughs> all that stuff that God made that's so pretty, <laughs> Get close to it, you're toast. Right? Which is like his glory, right? Moses is looking. Moses says, let me see you, really see you. Puts his hand over the, you can't see me and live. Puts his hand over the cleft. I'm going to walk by, proclaim my name. And then I'm going to pull my hand away. And just for a moment, you're going to see just a little segment of the backside of me. And when he sees that, he just falls down as though dead. <laughs> right? I mean, this is... From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble of thunder. This is God. You know, majestic, holy. This is God. In the beginning, you know, the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord, right? I mean, this is God the Father on his throne in majesty and pay attention, <laughs> right? Wise up, you know, right? Now watch what we do. Now watch this, see? As, as good Christians, what we do is we say, boy, you know, I do know that God is holy. Remember, around that throne, there's beings that are circling and they're flying all the time. And they have wings and part of their wings are covering themselves because even the angels that fly around him all the time are not holy enough to be in his presence. And what they're proclaiming all the time is holy, 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 three times holy, perfectly holy are you. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. This is what the angels are saying as they fly around him, right? As they circle about him. This is a part of God that we need to know. 
right? And so praise God that he gave us Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who made himself like, a, like more relatable. Because if I have to come before that lightning and flashing and thunder and stuff, you know, I fall down as though dead. It's not much of a relationship. So thank God that God, the Father, ushered forth the Son so that I can have relationship with him. Because he's somebody I can relate to, right? I got a story about him, and he was like me, and, you know, he seems to actually like me and love me, and, you know what I mean? And he seems to care about me, and this is awesome, right? Now, now do you see what I'm doing right here? I'm setting up a way of looking at the Father and of the Son that actually it turns out, sorry about this, but is an utter and complete horrible lie. Everything I just said. It's not that it's not completely true. It's that what we do with it, that when we think of him that way, we're actually missing something critical. The Son comes from the Father. Wait a minute. We know that when the Son was revealed, we revealed a part of the Trinity. What we didn't quite get was, what we didn't see even though it was hiding in plain sight, we didn't get that when there's a son, there is suddenly a father. See it? In fact, see, we think of him as glorious. We think of him as powerful. We need to think of him as this. We need to understand him as this. We think of him as all of these, look at the, all these stars. And, and it's just, you know, I mean, the Milky Way wouldn't even be seen in that array. And that would be alone, our solar system right? But do understand something. When the Father sends the Son, just as he's trying to communicate here his holiness, his majesty, his glory, when the, so that we see in the created realm who he is, what his character, his nature is, understand that when God has a Son, he's trying to communicate in the natural his character and his nature, in addition to glory, is Father. See it? Understand something. See, when we think about God, we do this thing as Protestants. See, we have our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is interceding with the Father who's like really holy and could potentially be mad at us because after all of what happened last night. See? If we're Catholic, here's what we do. Okay? We take it to another level. What we do is we say, well, God's really holy and awesome and majestic and powerful and that kind of... So we got to put him like up on his throne and he's way away. And then, you know, like Jesus is God too. So we got to put him up there too so who's the person that we can relate to? Mary. She's one of us. She's the one that we can relate to, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not, Catholics believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that there are many, many, many saved Catholics. This is, I believe there's many people that think they're Protestants and aren't. You know what I mean? They think they're Christians and are not. Right? But the bottom line is, what I want to do is, I, I just want to point this out. When we start conceiving of God in just his holiness and his majesty and can we be frank about it a little bit mad too a little angry about sin right which he is when we do that we actually end up kind of being Muslim don't we right because after all I mean who's God he, well he's this holy majestic way up there right? you know when you go as a Muslim when you go to heaven you don't go to be with God. I mean, even in heaven, you're not way too unholy for that. He's still mad. He puts you in a place where there's blessing instead of judgment, so it's a good thing to go to heaven. But you don't get to be with him for heaven's sakes. And that's the difference between Christianity and every other religion because what, what the, the image that God is trying to create in us is not just one of holiness and majesty and glory, which he is clearly trying to do in the creation of the universe but he is trying to create another image in us that ought to be very close to us. I realize that not everybody in here had a good father so that this doesn't necessarily resonate with you the way that it ought. 
in a fallen world, right, the metaphors can go bad because the fathers go bad. But, you, but everybody in here has a desire for that good father. And I want you to tap into that, and I want you to relate to it, and I want you to feel the Father this Christmas. It's a gift. I want you to feel the Father. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Doesn't it just make your spine kind of tingle and your hair stand up and you just go... See, he's, he's, he's just as... He's just as strongly when Jesus is born trying to reveal this side of himself as he did in the creation of the universe with majesty and glory. He's not just holy. God is love. That's what he proclaims about himself. He's love. Right? There's a story in the Bible that talks about the father told by the son. It's called the prodigal son. Simple little story, easy enough. Son insisting upon his inheritance, doesn't want to work, wants to go play, got an inheritance from the dad, insists upon getting it, dad finally relents, gives him an inheritance, he takes off, he goes and he squanders the whole thing on partying and wild living and ends up being so poor that he's working in a pig place and he's actually eating the food that the pigs eat. And he realizes even my father's servants don't eat this badly, so I'll go back to him and I can be a servant there. And when he was still a long way off, Jesus is telling this story now. Jesus is trying to make us understand the heart of the Father, who he really is. Right? It's not just see me. He's telling us directly about who his dad is. When he was still a long way off, the son that had gone off, the father saw him. I love this translation. Heart-pounding. <laughs> right? He sees his son. Heart pounding, the father runs out, embraces him, kisses him. The son started to say something. Father, I've sinned before you. I don't deserve to be called your son forever. Father's not paying any attention to that. <laughs> right? The father, the father wasn't listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put the family ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Get a grain-fed heifer, roast it. We're going to have a feast. We're going to have a wonderful time. My son is here, given up for dead and now alive. Given up for lost and now found. And they began to have a wonderful time. This is the heart of the father towards those of us who've sinned. His heart is, come home. <laughs> I love you. Right? And when we come home, he's just thrilled. His heart pounds with love for us. Right? This is what he's trying to tell us. And, and as I was doing that, I kept saying, God, I don't know if I should be doing that story or not, but it feels like you're telling me to do it, and I don't understand why. And then in one of those ways that should have been blindingly obvious for me, he said, Kurt, you're the prodigal son. <laughs> and I was, literally. I mean, I didn't, I didn't insist that my dad give it to me, but at a young age, I was given a big inheritance. And I did basically what the son did. I didn't squander it so badly. I ended up feeding pigs and so on. Uh, you know, but, but the bottom line is, is I was on a path towards that. I was spending, you know, and, and having a lot of fun, and I still was making more than I was spending, so I want to be careful because counsel's listening, and they think I got a problem with that. But anyway, <laughs> love you guys. Those who've been said enough people on counsel that they're really laughing at that one. Okay. But I didn't do that, okay? I wasn't just completely stupid. But I was doing what that son was doing. I was wild living and partying and just doing whatever and all this kind of stuff. And, and, the, and the bottom line is, is that I'm sitting in veil, and I don't believe in God. I, don't, I think he's not there. I think it's just stupid. And the whole nine yards, 19 years old, and I'm sitting in veil, and I have a reason I'm not going to go into. Many of you have heard the story before. I'll tell it, to, you know, someday you're going to dream it in your own sleep as if it's your own story. I'll tell it so much. But the bottom line is, is what I want you to understand about it is, is that I had a reason to pray. But not, I didn't even, you know, I didn't believe that God was there. It's just I couldn't figure out what else to do. And literally the first words of my first prayer, and the prayer was only like another line than this, but the first words of my first prayer ever, and I did not know it was a prayer, but my first words were, God, if you are there. And the reason why I got saved is because somebody was there. And I can't even begin to tell you what that means, but to still to this day, I can tell you exactly what it feels like. Because what I felt 
was somebody listening. He didn't say anything. But I knew somebody was there. And that was a big surprise to me. And the first thought that I had is, man, I'm the luckiest 19-year-old ever. I got all this money, and I'm living in Vail, and it's an epic powder year, and I got this beautiful girlfriend, and, and sorry, but this was part of what I thought, so I'm just telling you the story. But Cristal Champagne, which is now, what, 300 bucks a bottle, was $12 a bottle, and I was buying it by the caseload at 19. And we were just, you know, as far as I could tell, I didn't know I was in any sin whatsoever. I honestly didn't. I, I'd done sin before. I knew what sin was, even though I didn't think of it in God terms. I knew what bad was, but I was not at that place in my life, I thought. And I was just having a really great time. I was really loving life, and I was having a great time. And most people looked at me and said, that guy's got life pretty well cornered. He's doing good, right? But here's the point to this story. As I pressed in on the Lord, on why do you want me to talk about this? I suddenly realized something I'd never realized before. boy, be careful on this theology, okay? <laughs> a lot of people come to the Lord, why? Because things are so bad in their life that they cry out for help and God saves them. So their first exposure to salvation is the saving work of Jesus Christ. See that? But mine was completely different than that. I've asked the Lord about this to see, am I saying this right or not? And I think I am. My first exposure to God was not the Son. It was the Father. And what I knew instantly about the Father was, I'm 19 years old, I've got all this stuff, and I instantly knew that it was the Father that had given me everything. And can I tell you, I thought of it in Father terms right then. I thought of it as the Father has given me every, and I was clear about something, even things that weren't so good for me. Now that's where salvation in Jesus Christ as my Savior, who He is my Savior, okay, because He has forgiven my choices and sins and the ways that I've walked away from Him, and even now. And God, Jesus is my Savior, and I love Jesus, okay, because He saved me, and I owe Him the whole of my life. But again, I just want you to understand this story because what happened in this story was is I had some consciousness of something being wrong and that God was saving me from things I didn't even know that were bad for me. Do you see that? But understand, my first thing was is this God has given me all of this blessing. That was my first thought about God that was real. All the other stuff I thought about him before was stupid. And suddenly I knew that the Father had given me everything. And my next thought was, is I'd be the dumbest 19-year-old in the history of the world if I didn't spend the rest of my life getting to know a God who would do that, even though I didn't know him and had denied him. You see that? And I want to tell you something. It's something I didn't realize until, again, this sermon. That's what my pursuit has been. I'm not saying, I love Jesus. How much do I preach about Jesus? Do you guys think I love him? Do you know me well enough to know? I love, this is not about putting the Father above the Son, even though this is about putting the Father above the Son. I don't know, whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Son, Jesus Christ, is so precious to me. But can I tell you something? Every bit as precious is the Father to me. Always has been. When I think about the love of God, I had a good father. And I think about that image of the father holding me. I know the father loves me. Can I tell you something? I know that I have sinned a lot. I've never felt that the father was mad at me. Never. Not one time, not even for a moment, have I ever felt watch this, that he was even disappointed. What I felt like was that he knew that I was in a tough spot and he loved me and he just wanted to help me out of it. A father. 
I'm going to do this really quick because I've been talking about it quite a lot. You're going to see why I'm going to do it in a second. But I'm going to kind of, I'm going to break stride and I'm going to come back to this feeling because I want to take it a step deeper. Just real quick. I've been talking to you a lot about this trip that I took a, a year ago and this thing that I read three books on the brain and so on. And, and I've been, there's just been this thing that I saw in those brain books that God's been revealing to me. And, and it runs something like this. I'm going to do this real quick. But the first time that I ever encountered John Calvin, and this would be, you know, volumes of this, and this doesn't happen to be as institutes, but it would look like that. Several volumes of book. But the first time I ever saw John Calvin, a page of John Calvin in the institute. See, this is the book second, second book, right? Of the knowledge of God the Redeemer in Christ is first manifested to the fathers under the law and thereafter uh, to us under the gospel. And here's chapter 1, and then through the fall and revolt of Adam. And then you see that, you see that Roman numeral over there, 1, and then how necessary the knowledge is. And then you see here's the sections down here, and they go 1. And when you get deeper into his pages, what you find is, you know how to do outlining in the real proper way of doing outlining, where it starts with a Roman numeral, and then it goes to a capital letter, and then it goes to a, what comes next? Capital letter, what is it? Then, then a number. An, uh, yeah, Arabic number, and then it goes to a small A, and then it'll go to I's, and then it'll go to, right? And it just keeps going and going and going. I'm telling you, if you look at John Calvin's writings, he'll have subset to subset to subset to subset, 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 subset. And it goes across volumes of work. And then what I thought when I first saw John Calvin, as I said, there's my brain. I'm not saying I'm smart as Calvin. But I said, that's what my brain looks like. If I had to image what my brain looks like, it looks like that. <laughs> everything has a place and everything in its place. If I get a piece of knowledge, no matter what it is, it, it, it's not any, it, it goes somewhere. It fits. See, I got a new tool, and so I have to make that thing a little large to put the new tool in the new place. Because it has to go where it has to go. And that's the way that my brain works. And, and some of you who have been listening to me for a long time know that one of the ways that I used to preach, I, I still preach this way quite a lot, but I've been trying to wean myself from it. I used to preach in a way that I was thinking, if somebody were to take what I said and just go through it slowly and logically, that the logic of the argument that I was making was unassailable. John Iwasaki told me one time, he said, he said you're giving us a seven-course meal, you know? And it was true. And, and what I want to say is, is, the point is, is I have always exalted rational. I've also been very feeling, but I'm just telling you, I exalt rational, I exalt reason. Logic is incredibly important to me. When I hear somebody doing something where they're making leaps of logic that don't make sense, it just drives me crazy. I've exalted reason. And when I read these books... One of the things that they were pointing out to me was is that all of that is taking place in what we call the frontal lobe, which is that front part of the brain. This is a Christmas message, and now you're looking at anatomy, right? Just hang in there with me. I'll only take a second, okay? But that's a pretty large region, right? And that's reason. And I always thought of reason as higher reasoning and see you're going out to the highest reaches of the brain, and that's the most exalted part of it and so on and so forth. And can I just say what God's been showing me over the last year and a half is, is how utterly wrong I'm reading the metaphor. Not that there isn't something to the value of reason. Reason is incredibly important. I would never come against the need for intellect in Christianity. But the thing that he started showing me was, do you see this highlight here? You see all that structure, and you see how much, you see how large that structure is? Not only how large it is relative to the frontal lobe, but do you see how it's at the heart of the brain? It's in the center of the brain? So that like whatever happens out there, distally, you know, distal is fingers like distal is out. Whatever happens out there with reason has to go through logic or has to go through emotion. That's called the limbic system. If I were to picture it, it looks like this. Do you see all that? And that's where the emotions are. And as I was learning this, and as I was reading this, this metaphor just kept sort of prompting itself to me and prompting itself to me. And what, and what the brain research was showing was is these things that we think we know so well and that we've logicked out so reasonably turn out to be incredibly influenced by emotions. Our logic is not nearly as unassailable as we might like to think. But this is the layer that God's been unveiling to me right now. And it goes like this. 
you do understand that when we get to heaven, most everything about this life is just gone, right? Like people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about this, right? No, you're not going to. You know why? Because here's what the scripture says about heaven. Now you know in a mere dimly. That means imperfectly, right? But when you get there, you're going to know as you are known. By who? God. How does he know? Good. <laughs> Perfectly, fully, richly, completely. See it? God knows perfectly. When we get to heaven, we don't have to ask him anything. We're going to know it all. <laughs> right? We're probably going to be know-it-alls and it'll be okay. But do you see it? We're going to know, and it's going to be the knowledge that we're going to have is going to so transcend that anything that we thought here that it's just like the stuff that we thought here was, is dumb. Here's what I'm saying. Now watch this. See, when I get to heaven, here's what is not going to happen. I'm not going to show up and, and I'm sorry, but you're, you make a good God. I'm not going to get to heaven, right? Good God, right? right. His, his mom is saying, good God. Okay. <laughs> and good God, right? All right. But, but so, here, yeah, amen. So here's the point, right? So here's the point. When, when I get to heaven, here's what God is not going to say to me. That, well, I'm going to be God right now, but then he's me, right? He's not going to do this. He's not going to go, you know that doctrine you had on the Trinity? Perfect. Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> just, you are really right on. on that. Last chapter was just amazing. <laughs> just unbelievable. Yeah, see? Because I'm going to know it in a way that's going to make everything I've ever thought about it be filthy rags, be stupid, be the dark mirror dimly. See? What is going to survive in heaven? Did you love that person that I sent into your life? Here's what's not going to happen. Kurt, that sermon that you did on, on Christmas in 2013, wow! We were all sitting up in heaven just going, wow, how's this going to end? This is fantastic! Right? It ain't going to happen, right? What is going to happen? What is going to survive? My transition to his presence. My, when I get out of this limited body and limited brain, what's going to survive? The love that I had for him. Now, it'll be greater because I'll be free from this body of sin and condemnation and all this kind of stuff, and it'll be free and it'll be pure and it'll be all these kinds of things. But whereas knowledge will be totally different, at least love is in the right ballpark. Do you see that? Thanks, God. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> what I saw when I read all those brain books and I started really looking at this anatomy and I started looking at all this stuff, here's what I saw. He made me with this enormous capacity to love. And he made it bigger and more central than reason, intellect. He gave me a capacity to love, and he made it incredibly deep and complicated and rich and full. You see it? In fact, you know what I'm starting to think now? I'm starting to think that all that frontal lobe stuff is like padding on a football helmet. Because he wants to protect that ability for us to love inside, at the heart of the brain. You know, it turns out you don't have to be particularly smart to love God. In fact, let's be truthful, smarts can get in the way pretty bad, right? If you don't humble yourself, if you don't do what Jesus did, empty yourself, then you exalt yourself. And you're going to get into error. If you don't do as Jesus did when he lays everything down, when he gives his will over to the Father, if we don't have this relationship with God, we're in our limbic system, we're feeling what it is that he's doing, and we're just coming to an understanding. There's always two types of people that are listening to a sermon like this. Some people that hear God all the time, and in fact, people that don't hear him think they probably hear him too much, right? Like it's not always God, and that's true, right? Let's just be honest with it. I'm one of those people. I feel like I hear him all the time, and the truth is it's a lot less than I actually think, right? Then there's the other kind of person that's in here that goes, I just don't think I ever hear God. But the funny thing is, and you've seen many, many testimonies of this when I put it up, when I ask people that feel like they don't hear God, well, then how do you know what he's telling you to do? They just go, well, I just know it. 
Well, that's the same thing. This is what I'm talking about right here. You see, what you do is, is that you take a sense of what God's doing. Literally, the limbic system does this. Yeah, that's, that's right. It feels good. It, that's right. You're going in the right direction. This bears with it. And then all of a sudden, you go somewhere else, and he goes, no, 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 no. Get off base. No, 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 no. See, and we're using our intellect to the degree that we got it, and the more that we got it, praise God for it. We use our intellect as mightily as we can in order to give shape and understanding, meaning, in order to find the meaning that the Holy Spirit has literally created. See that? Our intellect is to be in subservience to our sense of God. Now, what I, you notice what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the person who processes their life emotionally is the better person. People that let their emotions rule them are not ruled by God. They're not ruled by reason. They're ruled by emotions. We're not arguing for that. What we are arguing for is, is that what you do is, is that you have a sense of something and then you use your intellect to understand it as deeply as you possibly can. The Bible is this most phenomenal book in all the world because you can be the simplest, dumbest person in the room and read it and fall in love with God through it. And you can be the most intelligent guy, a guy that's three times the intellect of the other guy. And you can, well, could you do that 270? I don't think there's anybody that high. But you could, be, you could be somebody who's double that intelligence in terms of IQ points, and you can read it for the rest of your life in exactly the same way. The more that you use that intellect, the more that you fall in love with him. You see it? And what all of a sudden I saw was that when God said he made us in his image, he's love. And look how he's made us. This enormous capacity to love. Here's what God does not want. He prepared a work for you to do since before the foundation of the world. Come up here. Okay, he prepared a work for you to do since before the foundation of the world. Thank you. Okay, now watch. So we're going to lunch. And so I'm going to be God in this. Oh, no, she'll be God in this illustration. So what I do is I go like this, all right? So what I do is I come up to her and I say, I say, here's the deal, God. You know, I don't have to worry about cocktail conversation. I don't care about that. I know that you've got a task that you prepared since before the foundation of the world. Let's chat about it. Let's work it through. Let's work out our game plan. Let's strategize it out. Write it on the napkin and everything else. And then we spend the whole lunch taking care of that. And then we get it done. And I say, okay, God, I'll see you next time. And I take up my plans and I walk out the door. Now, what kind of relationship do God and I have if that's how I'm treating him? What kind of relationship do you have with God if when you pray to him, it is that you're taking your list of things and you're praying through your list of things for your mother and your father and your child and your, the person that's sick and the person that has a need and what you need. And, and this is what your prayer is. What kind of relationship do we have with God? A business one, right? What if it turns out that the relationship that he wants to have is the cocktail conversation? What if what he's doing is, is he's looking at us and he's saying, how are you doing? You want to talk about all that stuff? You know what? I'll get to all that stuff and yeah, you're going to learn something from it and it's really important and it's really good. But can we put that aside because there's something I care about a lot more. You, how are you doing? How are you feeling? There's a tough thing happening. How's it going? See? What if that's what he wants? But if that's what he cares about. The other stuff, there's two, there too. You're going to learn. But what's first? You've lost your what? First love. Thank you, God. I'm going to do something right now. God wrote the Bible. Do we all get that? If you don't get that, I love you, but just understand that that's how I feel. I believe God wrote the Bible. I believe he wrote it through people. I believe that that means a lot of different things and so on. But I believe that God is the one who put those words down and all that that means. And, and here's what I want you to understand. There's this book that he wrote called Corinthians. And in that book, what he did in chapter 12 was he said, you know, I've empowered you guys, and there's all these gifts going on and everything else, but wow, you guys got them really out of whack. And I want you to understand what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. I want you to understand what the gifts of the Father are. That's in chapter 12 with the gifts that are distributed at will by the Holy Spirit. And then, you know, not everybody does this. And people, the gifts that God gives, he's given you certain talents and giftings and so on, right? 
And so that's, that's him kind of telling us how it is, right? And then, that's chapter 12, and then in chapter 14, what he does, he says, now concerning this thing that's really got you all tangled up, spiritual stuff, speaking in tongues, all kind of stuff, it's got you all bent out of shape because you've been doing it wrong and it's got you all messed up, right? So I'm going to show you how to get that right and how to get... So chapter 12 and chapter 14 have to do with him just basically teaching us stuff, Right? Now, of course, he's still teaching us here, but look at the way that he says it at the end of chapter 12. You should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. That's these gifts that we're talking about in 12 and 14. You should earnestly desire these things. You should work on it. You should learn. You should grow in them. It's important. But now let me show you a way of life that is best of all. But now I want you to lay out a, I want to lay out a far better way for you, the message. I want to lay out a far better way for you. So I'm going to have us do something here. I'm going to read to you 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes in a second. And what I want you to do is I want you to hear the Father who wrote it, inspired the person to write it. I want you to hear the Father speaking to you about who he is about how he is with you. He said, I am love, and he's going to go into some detail now about what that actually means. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to let this wash over you. I want you to experience this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. Listen to this one. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Now hear the Father telling you what love is right now. Love never gives up. I don't want you to hear you're supposed to love, and so you're never supposed to give up. I want you to hear God saying to you who he is. I am love, and what that means is I never give up on you. Never. I care more for you than I even do myself. I put my own son on the cross, something that sacrificed and cost me greatly. But I did that willingly, joyfully, because that's how much I love you. I don't want what I don't have. I don't strut around. I don't have a swelled head. I don't force myself on others. See, I'm not the big shot. I'm not the one that knows everything. I'm not the, see? It isn't always me first, and I don't fly off the handle. Listen to this one. I don't keep score of your sins. I don't revel when other people grovel or humble. I take pleasure instead in the flowering of truth of you. I put up with anything. So trust me. Know that I'm always looking for your best. I'm never looking back. I'm not keeping account. I'm not keeping score. I just know what I've got for you, and I'm just bringing you into that with as much love as I have, which is all. And I keep going to the very end. My love never dies. Inspired speech, all that stuff is over someday. Praying in tongues, that'll come to an end. 
understanding, it reaches its limit. We know only a portion of the truth. We only say about what, what we say about God is always incomplete. But when the complete arrives, our incompleteness will be canceled. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright, and then we'll see it all. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. For right now, until that completeness, we have three things that lead us towards consummation, towards oneness with him. Trust steadily in me. Hope unswervingly about what I can do and love extravagantly. And the best of these three is love. The thing I made you to be. Because that's what I am. Just let that soak into you for a second, would you? Let him speak a word of love to you the Father reveal what he's trying to reveal at Christmas to you. washes us clean a love that never ends a love that is in love with you open your eyes for a second here's who the father wants us to know him as this Christmas season daddy that's me with Chappelle after a play, and she's over here now. She doesn't look exactly like that, but I still feel exactly like that about her. This is that most tender, precious way that Jesus would refer to his father in his most deep times. In the garden, he said, Abba, which is Daddy. Daddy. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, Heavenly Father, in the name of your son who is pointing to you this Christmas season, we suddenly see what is blindingly obvious. You love us. You're showing us your love for us. You are holy, you are majestic, and you are glorious, but you are also daddy. And you want us to know the hug. You want us to know the surrounding. All of heaven is going to be us not just with you, but literally in you. That's the love that you have for us. Wow. Thank you for letting us feel in a new way, at a new level. Your love for us individually. You reach down in front of us and we grab this cup. There's two cups there if you're new and just pick up both cups. And we take the bottom cup in which is this, this broken life. This life that has thought of a part of God as being mad at us. As being disappointed in us. Being upset with us as does earthly fathers and mothers all too often this thing that has kept us distant from loving him because we can't just love with abandon because we're just such a disappointment. And all of a sudden we come and recognize that that's just a lie from the pit of hell that has been trying to keep us from the love of the Father. And so we say, Satan, get thee behind. Jesus, be gone and do not come back. The Lord rebuke you. And we who have broken our lives take our fingers and put them into this cup and we break that and we say we recognize that we have not understood properly your love for us father and now that we do we recognize 
that that's the wholeness that you bring to us in Jesus on the cross. The Jesus who by his stripes we are healed. And so we lift up this cup in which is this broken life, but we take it in knowing that what it creates in us when we receive it and take it in, what it creates in us is healing and wholeness. So heal us and make us whole as we take this bread together. And now, Jesus, in your magnificent name, everything about everything that we've talked about here is absolutely and utterly true, and it's more true than I've been able to communicate. And it is the life, the love, that you made possible for us on that cross. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I love you. We love you. Thank you for what you did. And thank you that you are restoring us to the Father's love. That's the life that you have. And so we take this cup in which is that blood shed for us, saying, I want the fullness of that life of love now. You've already purchased it. I want to walk in it every day. No more deception. No more distance. You in fullness. Take this cup together, would you please? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ah, one more. Merry Christmas. Ushers, can you come forward, please?